Hello, dreamers. If you haven't yet, go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at livingthedream506. But most importantly, keep listening and let me know what you think. This episode of Living the Dream is brought to you by AMW Group. AMW has the right tools to help you build your music career one step at a time. Get your song to the audience it deserves with AMW's Spotify playlist promotion service and work with AMW's experts to get your music heard. Check out their services by visiting bit.ly slash livingthedream10 and get a special 10% discount to their music promotion services by using coupon code AMW10. My guest today plays keys for the band Talk. Stick around to the very end of the episode because we've got the brand new release of Recreational Outrage from their recent live highlights release, Real Talk Volume 3. Hot off the press. So without further ado, please give it up for Talk's very own Ulrich A.C. Carter. So thanks for doing this, man. What's going on in talk and AC world right now? We're busy, man. AC, I'm busy. <laughs> and talk is busy. In the talk world, we're prepping up, um, getting ready to go on our fall tour. We start next week um, at home, two nights at Brooklyn Bowl, one of our favorite venues. That's also probably has some of the best fried chicken around. Um, but it's a really fun venue. And we've been going there for a long time as patrons and as a band as well dating back to 2012 so it's it's always fun to be there um and play at home with friends and family but then we're going to kick that off and then the talk tour feed the beast tour it's a very food friendly food oriented tour because we're all uh we're all fat at heart when it comes down to it <laughs> um, and we love to eat so uh we're going to be going all the way over to the west coast and the tour finishing them in seattle a two-night run at uh the nectar lounge so yeah we're going all the way to the west coast it's gonna be fun perfect in brooklyn what's the what's the recommendation for fried chicken i mean i don't go with uh i mean there's always uh the sweet chips right around the corner it's also a good spot really good more of your like chicken and waffle spot you gotta remember like we're not in the south man so <laughs> those things are hard to come by you know and what i've learned from traveling pretty much in almost every state is that certain regions have have uh you know their go-to they have, they do things certain well and there's a reason why you got to go you know go somewhere to get a specific thing but for new york i will say it's sweet chicken and brooklyn both goes down when it comes to the fried chicken so that's my chicken spot nice i'm always looking for good recommendations and who better to ask than bands on tour because you guys get to see everything and kind of find those little nooks yeah we've been talking about doing a food blog forever but you know you just you end up eating we're all just so hungry you end up eating it and then we're like oh we're supposed to film this i just <laughs> i just want to eat you know not post to the world 
my yeah, hat is in <laughs> So starting out, what was the beginning for you? Like way back, music. When did it start? You mean music for my first memories of music? Is that what you mean? Yeah, like when did you start playing? When when was music like on your radar? When did it become a part of your life? I, that's a hard question. I don't really know. Music just, it's always been. I remember my mom uh, used to teach me piano pretty much until I was in eighth grade. So I don't really remember like really playing or a piano at some point, but I just right. always knew there was something that I was doing since I was like around four or five. Uh, my mom was a classical piano player. She went to uh, Manor School of Music, which is now in team with Parsons. But yeah, she uh, she was my uh, my piano teacher for, for a long time until about high school. Um, and it really kind of honed in a love for music for me. Um, we started off doing classical music um, and doing kind of recitals and, and things of that nature. There was a program called Trinity College London, which was a British program, kind of similar to your state-run music programs that are, you know, that work through the schools in the public schools. Uh, this was private, but it, um, it more or less uh, was around, you know, about the same criteria and the same pedagogy as far as scales and learning specific pieces in different periods, whether that be like Baroque period, classical period, um, then it went to like Romantic period, and then also like modern music. So, you know, post 1900. Right. So then like, when did you start writing your own music and like getting into bands and things like that? So I think I met Matt and Charlie when I went to a, a different school. It was, uh, so I was around seventh grade, sixth grade. So I started to, I went to a completely different school, a private school. It was definitely a, a shock for me um, culturally, finding things that were, I had in common with other people, such as music was something that kind of bound us together. So I found Matt and Charlie through that. And they started to introduce me to different kind of sounds like that, like rock and things that I didn't really know existed or I wasn't really hearing. For me, aside from classical and church music, I kind of I grew up on gospel and hip hop and R and B, a lot of the Motown stuff, everything from the Drifters to the Temptations, and you know, also Scatolites, some of the reggae stuff. So that was in my wheelhouse as far as what I was hearing. So meeting those guys, um, we started to formulate, figure out how to play music. So we started doing stuff like Oasis, The <laughs> Who, you know, your basic kind of rock 101 songs that right. you go into. Through that, we figured out how to communicate and how to play and then the notion of improvisation. And that's when I remember those guys, uh, they were kind of into fish. And I had no idea what the hell is fish. <laughs> you know? what is this but through that is also able to learn about through composition the notion of improv for a classical musician is something that's pretty uncomfortable and a lot of great classical players even still have kind of a uh, predisposition to, to the notion of improvisation it can be very uh can very it's, it's you know freeing because you can play whatever you want but you know if you're a classical musician and you're taught to approach music from a certain vantage point and it, it can be kind of difficult to be comfortable with playing whatever you want whenever you want yeah for sure when you guys were doing those uh those covers early on was it similar to when you guys play now like i've seen you guys do covers with talking mcgee and even just yourselves and stuff and it's it's a classic rock cover, but it's instrumental with like a guitar lead that kind of fills the vocal melody. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, for us back then, um, 
we when we started playing high school, uh, we were a five piece. Uh, we had a singer and it was a different drummer. So I mean, we were able to do different things, you know. Um, right. But when we uh, after we went on tour and post just post skipping a few years, this is post college. We uh, you know we still kept writing as far as uh, keeping the form, you know, of your basic rock song, you know, with this a introduction verse and a mel you know a chorus a bridge however when we approach that we we focus on melody so you're right sometimes the guitar will take the lead sometimes i'll take the lead on a on synth um but there's other times we also sing um and when we do things like talking mcgee which incorporate uh different musicians with different skill sets it's nice to be able to add that vocal element uh, or add a different element that's you know slightly different than what I guess most of our fans or you know what we'd normally do, which is all instrumental music. Right. Was it always intended to be that way, instrumental? No, it wasn't. Uh, we as a high school band, you know, we hit the road running, you know, with a singer. And but what something that we realized is that you know with a lot of bands, too, so you know you people are naturally drawn to the human voice, right? It's one of the right. first instinctual things that you recognize, whether it be in song or text or just speech. On the other side of that too, you know, it's that will inherently become your band's identity. There's right. not many bands that can kind of toe that line. Uh, I think Radiohead is a great example, but even so, someone like a lead singer like Tom York, um, even though I think he uses his voice more in the sense of an instrument, he's still he's still very dominant and his effect on the band is definitely very known and felt um i think within the band and you know from the audience perspective however he's able to blend and it not be a distraction or not be the primary focus because when you see a band like radiohead it's it's the complete package in yeah, my absolutely. opinion that's one of the bands that can do that so we definitely try to keep we kept that in mind and we realized that, you know, if we search for a new singer or got someone else that we would also have to deal with that. And think about how many bands get like, you know, the stereotypical hot female front, you know, and then mm -hmm. she gets signed or, or he gets signed or someone else leaves. And then what do you have? Then you have to start from scratch again. Right. You know, so we decided to build up an identity based around our instrumental skill sets or, instrumental capability and kind of appeal to, I guess, the, the smarter listener is someone who can also identify melody as a little bit more musical. But it's also, because it's instrumental, it also opens up a lot um, for people to interpret, meaning, you know, your audience can create his or her own narrative. You don't have to listen to the whiny love song of the singer or someone else you know, or be objectified to, you know, what those lyrics are. You have the control to make your own narrative and the music and that specific song means, you know, something to you that it can mean to no one else, which is really cool, I think. Yeah, for sure. So in that sense, where do you guys come up with the song titles? They're completely random. I mean, I'll finish a song and look around my room and be like, okay, well, I got to call this something, you know, but, <laughs> So sometimes you get a little funny song titles because, it, for example, a dusty jacket was one of those. Literally, there's a dusty jacket in the corner of my room, and I didn't <laughs> plan on it being the final, you know, title for the song. But you put it out, you play it, you got to call it something on the set list, and then 
people are like, oh, I like that song. I like that title. That's sick. You know, or you've been kind of stuck with it. Yeah. So, so it's definitely a little bit of, it's completely random because they're instrumental songs, right? You know, exactly. There's no lyrics. So, (laughs) are you going to identify it? Yeah. I just like, I was wondering maybe like, I'm looking at some, some names here, but like, yeah, they don't really apply to like a set or setting. No, this completely, it seems completely random. I just didn't know if there was any theme to the title. Sometimes there are. So for example, like a, our song, uh, we have a song called Collateral. That one to me is a, it's like a Michael Bay explosions, imminent independence day two kind of, you know, that's the emotions that it evokes for me. So something like collateral, you know, that yeah. to me, it's a little bit tied into the emotion of the song, but at the same time, it could mean something completely different for someone else. guys were starting out and you had the singer and then you went to no singer were you guys still called talk back then yeah we've been talk since 2003 which is kind of wild think of that it's like 2019 now right um but yeah that's what that's what we were as a high school band so is it named after montauk is that where the name comes from that is that is where the name comes from it uh it's kind of funny because you know now that we're all instrumental and we don't actually talk it has (laughs) a lot more relevance to it but it didn't start off that way i think uh so we had a project for our high school and it's called a so what they do is that they make all the seniors have an independent service project so essentially you have to do community service in order to graduate you do that for a month right which is good so our community service was to make a record and then donate the proceeds to uh local charity and we we had the record and everything, all the songs were done, but we needed a name. And someone was made wearing a Montauk t-shirt and divine intervention came about and someone put their hands over the letters M-O-N. And <laughs> there you go. And uh, Perfect. And that's how talk started. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish it was a, a cooler story, but that's just what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about like, I don't know, there's been so many you know weird band names that turned out to be killer. Like, I mean, I still think the Beatles is a terrible band name, but that <laughs> right. works you know right. uh, the monk the monkeys the drifters the spinners it's like <laughs> as long as it feels good right yeah just open the dictionary and put your finger down <laughs> so i'm from new brunswick canada and you guys headlined a festival here a couple of years ago called folly fest do you remember that at all yeah it's out in the out in uh is it fredericton right yeah just outside of fredericton yeah i do i do remember that it was actually a lot of fun 
Yeah. How, how was that experience for you? It was great. I mean, we haven't been out there, um, up to Canada and, you know, as to me, that's international, you know? Right. So uh, it's really nice to actually add that to our resume. Thank you, Canada. But it was cool uh, to get up there and, and, you know, be exposed to a different audience and know that people are listening up there. Sometimes you uh, kind of get the horse blinders on and forget that there's other markets and that there's other people willing and waiting with open ears. So that was very awesome. Yeah, for sure. Everybody was pretty excited when they heard that you guys were playing. And I remember just like the hype for it. And uh, I, I was just kind of wondering, like, do you guys play a lot of festivals like that? Like it's real small. It's like a, a thousand to 1500 person attendee range. So like, do you, do you get a lot of festivals like that? Uh, we do. We do. Uh, we used to do a lot more in that range. Uh, as we're coming up a few years back. Um, but, you know, as long as the festival makes, as long as a lot of, you know, the logistics make sense, yeah, we're all about that. All about the the bigger ones to the smaller ones and, the, you know, all this stuff in between because uh, you're able to hit such a larger, you know, larger audience. You, you realize in different places in the country and abroad that people will travel and go out. For example, we did a small festival in, I believe it was Tuscaloosa, out of Alabama and they, you know sometimes we talk to the fans of people who travel and they're like yeah man I drove four hours to see you and I was like wow yeah <laughs> that's that's crazy I, I appreciate you doing that and they're like I got work at like seven in the morning and, you know and it's midnight I'm like oh oh wow you know, nice. so uh, that's really encouraging and that's you know something that we don't take lightly just because we know what it is to work we know what it is to travel you know what music can do and, and we understand that those people are like you know they're driving to escape or they're driving to get away and enjoy from whatever mon you know mundane tasks they have or work it's this is their time to let loose and you know i i appreciate having that response helping them you know having the responsibility to help them get to where yeah. they need to go exactly yeah when you guys played like i said when you played folly fest people were excited and a lot of our friends we were kind of exposed to you guys first opening for Humphreys McGee, like in the Northeast area. And so like, first off, when did the talk Humphreys McGee relationship sort of begin? Uh, I think I want to say around 2015, I think we had a, I believe it was our first time playing um, interlocking is uh, the festival in Arlington, uh, yeah. Virginia, or just outside, excuse me, not Arlington, Arrington. And um, Umphreys was on that festival, and I think the story goes is that the bass player, Stasic, um, he, I guess he was into it, heard our stuff somehow, and had mentioned, it's like, yeah, throw on your CD, and me and my like daughter, like we clean house to it. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. So <laughs> we kind of shooting the stuff, and, and then uh, kind of developed a relationship. And um, sooner or later, they had reached out and um, asked us to, hop on a few dates with them and you know we were completely pumped um and it was uh actually really awesome because uh they invited us back for a following tour and we've ended up i think we ended up doing like over 35 dates with Humphreys um no, because it was insane. just very very you know over the over like this kind of tenure um right it was very comfortable very comfortable what a band like that does not only musician like musically but um, as an entire business. So from their management to their crew, uh, those guys are pro and, you know, they're living the dream essentially, you know, yeah. being able to provide still work and play music. And they have a great, 
fan base, people who are active listeners and like, you know, hold them to a standard as musicians, you know, they, they can't really come and they can't, they, they've presented themselves with a situation where they have to bring it every show. And that's, I think, great dynamic that they have. Um, so their whole team is just, you know, they're, they're hitting home runs. And even with this Iceland thing that we're going to be doing with them next March, uh, right. which is awesome. And the other kind of vac- destination festivals that they've teamed up with, uh, for example, with the Disco Biscuits and Sound Tribe doing things in like the DR and in Mexico. So Holidays, yeah, right. Those guys are, yeah, holidays, exactly. So those guys are, uh, yeah, they're definitely working on it and they continue to work on it and they continue to get better and keep it fresh. You know, when you're doing something for that long, I think they just had like their 20 year anniversary. It's good to see them that they still enjoy it and they're fighting a good fight. Yeah, for sure. You guys must be pumped to be going to Iceland, eh? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, again, like you get to add another international date under our belt and see something completely different. You know, I, I never thought music would, uh, growing up, you know, start and play piano at, at four or even high school, that music would present all these opportunities to the four of us. And, you know, it's, it's truly a blessing to be able to see, you know, see the world in this kind of context. Yeah, for sure. And you've, you've done some sit-ins with them too, haven't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I sat in with them, uh, they came out to Long Island not too long ago. We had a, a sit-in. Um, it was uh, myself and Casey Cranford from Big Something, a sax slash yeah, right. uh, Ewe player. And, yeah, it's great. And um, on that run, yeah, there's a few times they, they came and invited me out. And it's cool. Uh, it feels it, – it's definitely uh, awesome to kind of break break bread, you know, with these guys musically. And, you know, we all have the same goal. And uh, I like to say uh, real, recognize real, you know? So. Right. I was at that Paramount show in Long Island. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, that was awesome. I've seen you sit in with them a couple other times, I do, I believe, too. I've, I've seen you, I've seen talk play with them at like the Beacon and up in Maine and things like that. I've seen you guys play with them probably 10 times now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, uh, when it works out and it makes sense, you know, obviously, talk and you know our goal is to you know get to where they are and continue to build and you know be comfortable at the end of the day so we're where it makes sense to team up yeah we'd love to um but yeah we definitely have our own goals and our own aspirations you know within touring and also outside of touring to keep this brand and keep the band progressing yeah for sure so the you got the new the newest album was shapeshifter 2 is there any any new studio stuff in the works right now Actually, so right now we've been we've been writing. We've been taking the first steps to make sure all of that, all the new material, starts to uh, get the attention that it needs. We're a band that you know. I think we have a pretty our catalog is pretty good for the amount of time you know um, that we've been around, but we we get tired of it. You know, we want to keep pushing, and even our old songs, we look to revamp sections and change the arrangements so it's fresh for us, so that the audience can also feel that and hear that so yeah we've been banging it out working on new songs i think we have about 12 in the really early early beginning stages um about a third of that is a little bit more formulated but we're looking to get new songs introduce um, new ideas and get them road tested as early as next week for brooklyn bowl and nice keep on and that's what we do during our tours like we usually take about two hours for sound check and you know, we get the levels right, make sure the mics are adjusted, but 
a lot half of that time is spent running new ideas either for that show or you know practicing and getting these new songs tight so that we can premiere them either later that week or you know at some point later on the tour um we, we definitely plan to make sure that we're keeping it fresh and because we don't want to be stale yeah for sure well, that's exciting to hear you guys got a new year's eve gig coming up with pigeons playing ping pong how's what's the what's the outlook for that uh the flock man the flock is strong um we love <laughs> nice. those guys pigeons uh so funny story about them uh jeremy there one of the guitar players he uh had reached out they're from baltimore so he had reached out to us to play their festival called dome fest and we're in the car on the way to the festival and i guess there's some kind of scheduling uh adjustment he's like hey guys you mind closing out the festival and you know at the time this is very early you're like yeah sure you know we'll play <laughs> you want us to play you let us know we're gonna do our what we do and we actually closed out the festival and that was a big catalyst in that Chesapeake area, kind of the DMV area, uh, for talk as far as getting our music out there and starting to buzz. And the Pigeons guys have always been supportive and helpful um, as we've been kind of coming up to, you know, together as peers. And um, it's great to see their growth and see what they've been doing because I know those guys work hard. And uh, yeah, when Jeremy hit me up and he you know, said, "Hey, we're going to play this, we're going to play the arena in Asheville. You want to be on it? And I was like, uh, yeah, bro, I'll go play with you guys any day. I'll play arena with my friends. It sounds fine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. I got, uh, I got this last section, little fan questions for you. If you want to jump through a few of those. Sure. The first question I got for you is what's your favorite talk song? Man, that changes like week to week. Um, <laughs> it was a good one. I feel I feel like I can't pick my own. Um, <laughs> you can pick whatever you want. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> uh, I see. Right, right now, my favorite my my favorite talk song to play is is not your nemesis off of Shapeshifter Two.
what's your favorite genre to kind of jam in? Like, do you like when you get dark or do you like the funky uplifting? Like what's your favorite genre? Oh, I'm all about the darkness, man. I'm all yeah. no major chords. I'll be in a cave, put me somewhere in a cave, all minor <laughs> chords. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I agree. That's that's definitely where I tend to veer musically. I don't know if it's like a northeast thing. It's, I don't know. It's like need something kind of hits you in your chest, you know. I'm not on that like West Coast smiley stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question, uh, you've had little side projects like Talking McGee, like we mentioned before. And I think there was, I don't know, did Talking Biscuits ever happen or was that just that was going to happen. Talking Biscuits was supposed to happen, um, but it actually did happen at uh, Camp Bisco in Scranton, PA, at the, at the uh, festival that the Disco Biscuits curate. That happened this past summer. So it, nice. it, it finally did happen. Yeah. Cool. So the question is, what other talking bands are in the works or would you love to see happen? So we're doing a Talking Hendrix at Brooklyn Bowl with Nick Casarino from the Nth Power. Uh, fantastic musician overall, great guitar player and great vocalist. You know, someone who just kind of has swag. Uh, nice. And I think it's going to be great to combine, you know, his skill sets and what he does with what we, we do. You know, the power um, of what we try to put out. So that's going right. to be great. Another iteration i would love to do something like uh, a little bit more electronic and do like a talking tribe sound yeah, tribe. Awesome. you know if those guys are down to do something but you know also work with like uh you know djs or like a talking gigantic you know big mm -hmm. gigantic dudes you know um i think that's the power of being an instrumental band it's like i i think you can really put us with a lot of different people yeah very um, malleable you like Right. And then be like, you know, so we've done stuff with DJs. We've done stuff with horn players. Yeah. So, but off the top and, you know, within the scene that we're playing, I, I think those, those definitely be two cool talking you know, band combinations. Yeah, definitely. That'd be awesome. Who are some of your biggest musical inspirations? Uh, Herbie Hancock is one as a piano player. Uh, that dude is just so versatile, you know, to be coming up in the 40s and still relevant playing right i mean um, that whole collective so him uh coltrane wayne shorter uh, i'm a big fan of ahmad jamal as a piano player some of these jazz guys but as far as more on the other things more the other genres i'm a big fan of like i was saying earlier uh, radio ahead i love drum and bass music when it comes to reggae bob marley barrington levy uh, those guys when it comes to classical music um, composers like Brahms and Rachmaninoff those guys are awesome in their ability to because also music is also about historical context you know so you hmm. think about how these people are able to maintain their identity you know under a microscope or you know a political microscope and do things in that kind of nature is pretty cool as well there's a lot of cool stories and we forget the context in which they actually reside in um, right yeah those are those are a few <laughs> awesome and last but not least what are some of your highlights from touring with talk so far playing red rocks was uh, you know we've done that four times and that's that's crazy i understand like there's been a, a big influx in in people in in colorado you know so using venues like that has become more common practice however right. it still doesn't take away the appeal 
or um, the magnitude of what that is, that place is very, very special. Oh, it's place from, it's unlike any other. Right. So that that's definitely one. I think uh, another one was we sold out Atlanta. It was uh, so at Friday Playhouse on our own. You know, we did about eleven hundred tickets, and that was a few years back. And you know, doing stuff like that. You know, when you look around on stage, you look among each other. You're backstage, and you realize that it's your ideas, it's your music, it's the effort of the collective and also, you know, your team who's backing you built up to this moment. And it, it feels, you feel really invisible, you know, and that's one of the hardest things to really convey. It has everything to do with music. It has everything to do with timing. Um, and it has everything to do with just being present and being in the moment, you know? Yeah, for sure. So just off the, off the top, that's one of them, like Bonnaroo electric forest, being able to go out to the West Coast, doing things that I never thought that we, you know, would be able to do in the time that we've done it. So what's what's uh, what's next? What's the venue to aspire to? What's the dream venue to play? Off the top, I mean, I, I think uh, the Gorge is the next one, and we're a little little few thousand away from that. <laughs> but <laughs> the Gorge up in uh, in in Washington State. I mean, that's one of those places too that I, I feel like it's very similar to Red Rocks. It just has an awe, jaw, you know, jaw dropping kind of awe to it. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, you know, but you know, it's all about figuring out how to get there and get your, get your, you know, your foot in the door and we're hungry and, you know, love what we do, but we still want to keep challenging ourselves and, you know, we appreciate everything that we've been able to do as an instrumental band, you know? For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. And hopefully I get to see you at the, at the gorge someday soon. I hope so. That's the plan. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, if I don't see you before Iceland, I'll see you there. All right, Chris. Take care, brother. Thanks, man. You too, man. Cheers. Cheers.